Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comics, mainly the British ones. I'm Eamon Clark, and it's always great to welcome a newcomer to the book club. Uh, joining me tonight to talk about some interesting um, Marvel UK stuff is David Nolan. David, welcome along to the book club. Hi, Eamon. Thanks for having me. That's great. Thank you for getting in touch by emailing mcbcpodcast at gmail.com. Now, you know the sort of rules for newcomers. We get to hear a little bit about your comics origin stories and particularly how you got to 2000 AD. Uh, what were your first comics? Um, like a lot of people you've had in the pod, I'm kind of hazy on the exact first comic I had. It, they always just seemed to be around when I was a kid and I was an, quite an early reader. And I don't know what it was like when you were a kid, but it seemed like books for kids back then were nowhere near as rich and interesting as they are now. And I remember not being that interested in many of the books I was given, but comics were always interesting. So I had a lot of cousins and I get a lot of hand-me-down comics. So I remember having lots of old annuals, like British boys annuals. So the, the humor ones, obviously. So Dandy and Beano, obviously. Wizard and Chips, Topper, stuff like that. But also Tiger, Victor, that kind of comic. Um, and what The first comic I remember reading properly and thinking, this is my comic, I'm going to buy all of them, was Eagle when it was relaunched in 1982, I oh, think. Right. I remember buying the first issue and being really excited by it. And I think back now, that was kind of my introduction to 2008 because it had some 2008 stories they reprinted in Eagle. So I remember reading, I think it was Harlem Heroes, maybe. And the Dan there was obviously, there was links to the 2008 Dan there. There was a couple of Savage, maybe, and Invasion. I've got hazy memories of lots of 2008 stories being in that. They also reprinted Charlie's War. So it was kind of lots of British comics heritage in one comic, as, long as, as well as new stories. Um, I had to stop reading eventually because Doom Lord scared me so much. As a little kid, I was like <laughs> seven, and I was a, the, the, the photo strip really for, I had nightmares about it. My dad stopped me buying it. Anyway, um, my first. 2008 issue I bought or Prog sorry sorry Prog I bought a load of them a big stack at a jumble sale in a church hall uh, it was a mix of comics but there was about I don't know 20 2008s like including some early ones so I think the earliest one was issue 19 with the uh, Brian Bolland cover of the robot with the dog and that was like that was it for me then I loved every story and I kind of started tracking it down so the first Prog I remember buying in a news agent on my own thinking I'm going to get that comic was one of the Steve Dillon, Judge Dredd, Werewolf issues. Oh, yes, of course. The classic yeah. story. And like, I knew, I kind of knew who Dredd was. Dredd was like in my head, like Spider-Man, Batman, Superman. He, he was just this established character. Everybody knew who he was. So I don't know how he got that penetration in the culture, but he, even at that stage, he seemed to be kind of this famous character. And I kind of knew who he was. And I kind of read it on and off alongside like Marvel UK stuff, like we'll talk about today and other comics, battle action, Action Force, Transformers, etc. And then I got, in the 90s, I had my mum worked at a news agent and I got a subscription like every week I had 2008. So probably the worst period in 2008's history. I was a faithful reader. <laughs> <laughs> but some great stories too. A lot of my favourite stories from that era. So, And obviously US comics as well were kind of rarer and more glamorous, but were always kind of in the background. But yeah, so my first prog officially will be that Steve Dillon werewolf story but my first prog that i read and remember is 19 which is quite a good early one i think to have great stuff and so the, you say well you jumped you're somebody who jumped on board with a subscription in the 90s and i think we're revisiting the 90s in 2018 and finding it not perhaps as bad as its reputation yeah um suggests but also you then during the 80s you were getting in um as well as the eagle in 2008 you were getting some of these marvel uk titles as well yeah well like your last 
pod with Rob Williams, or Captain Britain. I remember loving it. And it was, I could never really, it was always more expensive, that kind of comic. There were some comics that are, you know, when you're a little boy, you got your 10p or whatever. There were certain comics you could afford and certain comics you couldn't afford. So Marvel comics, the actual American imports were more expensive. So I could, if I could get my mum to buy me them, I would. But Marvel UK, with the Spider-Man reprints and all, I could usually get there like 15p, 12p. But, you know, Mighty World of Marvel and the Daredevils were a bit more expensive. Higher quality paper stock, I suppose. Yeah. Probably they were aimed more, a little bit adult, weren't they? But I could still, I still get them. So I was into Captain Britain, um, the Spider-Man reprints, obviously. It was always, I don't know how if you had this when you were younger, but that feeling of I'd read the old American comic and get Amer- the British annuals, the hardbacks and summer specials and the continuity jumping back and forth, I could read, you know, Steve Ditko, Stan Lee story of Spider-Man, then I go into a modern Spider-Man from the 80s, and I was kind of, it was fascinating but confusing. Mm. And British comics were a bit more, you know, there was one 2008, I could kind of tell what was going on with Judge Red because that was the only comic with him in. And that was kind of appealing to me as a kid, to kind of, I knew what I was getting and where I was, whereas American stuff was a bit more confusing. In an interesting way, but still confusing. So Marvel UK, I knew at an early age, oh, these comics are different. They're in black and white. They're the American comics, but they've been reprinted. And then when you got to like Transformers and Action Force, say they were reprinting American stories with British stories around the sides, which you've talked about before, which was, once I realized that, it was like, oh. And the British stories were better often. That was a really interesting thing, which leads us to Death Cell, I suppose. Where my first bit of awareness of that was Action Force, which was G.I. Joe, basically. And... There was a story, the best G.I. Joe story ever is probably this ninja story from the 80s. So it's called Silent Interlude. There's no dialogue. It's all sound effects, ninjas fighting. Um, and when they reprinted it in Action Force, Brian Hitch did the art on the story. He was only 15, 16, 17 at the time. I remember they kind of admitted that in the letters page. He was like really young. And I remember thinking, wow, this is really good. And he's like 17 year old. And I was only you know, 10, but I was thinking, I can do that. Obviously, I couldn't, but. It, it was really inspiring that this young British kid was doing, you know, these stories and kind of fitting them around. Simon Furman wrote that as well, I think. Um, and it was like, oh, British comics are, they can do the Marvel thing as well as the American comics, if not better. And it was really interesting, kind of illuminating for a little kid to realize that. And it didn't feel quite like 2008, but there was an element, you know. What I mean? Okay, well, great stuff. You've mentioned already, because um, we did talk about a few titles that you might um, come on the show and talk about, and we eventually settled on one. Tell us, uh, give us the details of what we've picked for the book club for tonight. Well, Death's Head won the original Marvel UK Death's Head, who you kind of touched on in the Transformers one a couple of weeks ago. Um, I loved him instantly. He was uh, just, the design of that character is f- fantastic. And the first time I saw him, he was like a backup character in, Transformers, and you knew they knew who that his potential straight away. He was given such a big role in the story. You're thinking oh, they they get that this is a good character, and he was funny, and he had that kind of sense of humor that most American comics and Transformers certainly didn't really have. That dark and a gallows humor in his dialogue, he was a bit sarcastic. He was amoral, so he was interest like instantly appealing to like you know eleven year old me, and I kind of remained. So then he got his own solo series when they had their experiment with Marvel. UK trying to be like Marvel US and that series is kind of what we're going to talk about as well more than anything else Fantastic stuff, so I've got um, the freelance peacekeeping agent trade on digital Yeah, um, it collects some Dragon Claws, Death's Head issues 1 to 7 and 9 to 10 we'll talk about the omission later on Death's Head, the body in question there's also, there's a Fantastic Four story, there's a She-Hulk story there's a What If 
There's uh, Marvel Comics Presents, I think, is it? Or yeah. The Hulk story at the end. From a carried back annual, the UK annual, I think. Right. Um, creators, too many in this collection to mention. But if we stick with the key ones, Simon Furman um, writing. There's also some Walt Simonson writing, I notice. Artist Jeff Senior. You've mentioned Brian Hitch, Lee Sullivan, John Higgins, Liam Sharp, Walt Simonson again. Mark Farmer will mention for another 2080 connect, uh, connection. So lots of creators in this book. Um, I think this digital collection cost me £16. It's a 2020 imprint. It is available in hard copy for £30. And it's also, I noticed, I think most of these stories are now on the Marvel app, if you've got the Marvel app. Um, you certainly can get a flavour of Death's Head and Dragon Claws from that. Um, although we'll talk about one or two stories that aren't on various apps in a moment. So you've said, I think, why this character made such a big impression on you. It was the sort of design and um, he's a certain personality and, as you say, he's a very amoral... Um, I say bounty hunter, but I'm not allowed to call him that. <laughs> Freelance peacekeeping agent, yeah. Um, yeah, like it's kind of an underrated aspect of big iconic characters that you can draw them as a little kid you know what i mean like you can, any little kid that wants to draw can draw spider-man or batman or just red just red's helmet i remember when i was able to draw that i was like yes yeah. and death's head i could draw him pretty much as soon as i saw him he's got such a, such a strong kind of iconic design and that's uh kind of key to his appeal but then simon Furman gave him enough personality to kind of live up to that design um but i always thought and it, it seems more obvious now that he had that slightly 2000 ish kind of black sense of humor to him that wasn't in much marvel stuff at the time or american comics in general which is maybe why they didn't really know what to do with him later on you know i mean it needed a british writer to kind of capture that kind of british sense of humor and the sardonic thing he has and it's on pretty much every from transformers is quite an earnest comic for a comic about robot toys and he was not like that at all he came in and he was instantly you know sarcastic and kind of out for himself and out for the money and just different from everything else in the comic and when his own title when he got that and he was front and centre that was kind of brought to the fore even more it was all about how, how amorally he was they, they kind of try and make him a hero to some extent but he's never quite not himself which is what the, the best thing about the character I would say um, and Simon Furman did a, did a really good job of expressing that through you know, comedy usually like his one liners are quite funny his responses to people are quite funny Um especially for a little kid. And I read it back now, and I'm like, it's not as funny as I remember, but <laughs> it's still very good. It's good fun. Now, Simon Furman, we've talked about a little bit when we did Transformers, obviously, with Michael, and we hinted a little bit at this at Death's Head there because um, various interviews, there's a piece in the back of my trade by Simon Furman. He sort of initially had the idea of a character who was going to be killed off in Transformers. It was a throwaway yeah. character, wasn't it? But he was too good. Too good. And they, they realised that, and the reader response, I would imagine, was like, overwhelming. Because I remember at the time thinking, I want to see more of that character. Um, so he suddenly shows up in Marvel UK stuff. He's in Doctor Who as well. Um, and then they gave him his own Dragon's Claws. And then they gave him his own series pretty sharply. Because um, I think Paul Neary, who you know, is an artist and an inker, took over as Marvel UK editor, and he wanted to make US-sized comics for the you know, news, news Asian market. So they launched Dragon's Claws as an original comic of Simon Furman and Jeff Senior, which is a pretty good comic. And I remember the time being really excited by it. And then Death's Head. 
as well. And I remember I was, the first issue that I saw an advert for, I think, in Transformers, and I was so excited that he was getting his own comic. Um, but it was in a smaller format, which made it just kind of, I don't know, it got lost on the shelves, I guess. I don't know when you were growing up, if, uh, there was always like the bottom shelf of comics. Yeah. <laughs> and it'd be the big British comics, and they might have some American at the end. And I don't think they knew what to do with, you know, British comics that were like the American comics. The smaller size. Yeah. And not quite the little pocketbook battle or the the war comics that you, you would get as well, the digest kind of ones. Not like that. They were somewhere in between, weren't they? Yeah. So it was. I, I can imagine even people didn't know, what's this comic? Is it American? Oh, you know, I knew because it was a little obsessive, but I imagine that your casual kid going to the news agent to buy a comic wouldn't know what they said was or what Dragon's Claws was. And you've hinted at the sort of complicated publication uh, history of Death's Head um, because, if I recall correctly, uh, they had to hastily do a one-page strip to put him in various Marvel UK titles before he appeared in Transformers. Otherwise, Hasbro would have owned the character, I think. Yeah, I think he's in, that's in the trade, actually. It's the Jeff Senior page, I think. Where you see him in silhouette, yes. where it's unmistakably him. And they stuck that in a couple of Marvel comics, sort of as a, a kind of functioning like a trailer for his appearance, but it was to make sure that he they he belonged to Marvel and the Hasbro couldn't claim him, which was quite canny of Marvel, you've got to say, because they made a similar, they made mistakes, didn't they, earlier on with, I think you talked about it last time, with the, some of the characters in Captain Britain. And yes. They were, they belonged to Doctor Who, basically, then, the BBC, Special whoever. Yeah. yeah, which... For Marvel, like must have been horrific, <laughs> but yeah, that's how they made sure they owned them. And the problem is, the collections are never quite complete because there's the Doctor Who stories are missing because they can't reprint them. And it, the Doctor Who story, one in particular, kind of is a kind of a, quite a big part of his continuity. Um, so that's how when we first met in Transformers, he's Transformer size, so he's a giant robot because yes. uh, it's how he can fight the Transformers and the human characters are you know pint sized. But somewhere in between, if you read. The comics that are available nowadays, he becomes human sized basically, like a tall, seven foot human, whatever. And that's because in a Doctor Who comic, Doctor Who shrunk him, basically. <laughs> and he, got, he threw him into the time stream, which you can find the story online, but I don't think it's re- re- available in any reprint at the moment. It's, yeah. It was in some of the reprints in the 90s, or the 90s even, but now it's kind of, I think it's t- tied up in rights issues, I'd imagine. It's a pretty good story as well. Possibly Panini might own it. Yeah, maybe. They seem to have Doctor Who from Marvel UK rights, don't they? Um, And yes, the Doctor uses the Master's tissue compression eliminator, whatever it is, to shrink Death's Head. And I guess that is where the missing issue eight of Death's Head series is, because that was when he he crossed over with Doctor Who again, I believe. Yeah, he was kind of out for revenge. And he refers to Doctor Who in a couple of other stories that you know he calls him a time traveller or a time lord. But that's as far as it goes. When he shows up in Fantastic Four, even, in the US, he talks about a time, time traveller and what, but that's how he got there. So it's 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 kind of confused. I can imagine if you're an American who first got into that set when it was all reprinted, you'd be like, what are they talking about? Who's who's a time traveller? What's this been? And I was like, ah, oh, it's a Doctor Who stuff. Um, but yeah, Apart from that, he's been reprint- it's been reprinted at lots of different times with different selections of issues. So sometimes you get some of the series, sometimes you get the American stuff, the graphic novel. So that, yeah, for a character who's not been in too many comics, it's quite complicated, his, uh, his lore, I suppose. And here he is, of course, in his miniseries, written by, of course, Simon Furman, who else? 
And you mentioned the sort of dark humour, the almost 2000 AD humour that Simon Furman brings to the character. Um, it's, I mean, it's noticeable in the jokes. It's noticeable, particularly, there's a speech pattern for um, uh, Death's Head. There's a couple of, vo- of ticks he has, isn't there? He says yes, doesn't he, at the end of, on the cover of the first issue, buy this comic and stay healthy, yes. And he says that pretty much every second line of dialogue, he puts yes on the end, which makes him easy to, to write, I imagine. He, he has a unique speech pattern. And it, but it, yeah, it's also a bit annoying, I'll be honest. Um, I think that first issue is, like, I mean, read it back, and it's really good. It's quite sophisticated, the way it's the story's framed. So Death's Head's been deactivated, basically. And these this group of kind of mercenaries have, have got him, and they're trying to turn him on. And he's kind of rebooting, and you have these three stories in flashback, and they're all kind of told with a hard-boiled voiceover by Death's Head, with his yes tick as part of it, and really nice, slick Brian Hitch art that is most Alan Davis kind of... He hadn't really grown out of that Alan Davis influence yet. Um, and by the end of it, Death's Head has kind of gone through his memories, and he's ready to be Death's Head again with his new costume. It's, it's a really good first issue. Which I don't think the rest of the series is ever quite as good again, and I wonder if it was like that. The voiceover suited the character really well. I, I found because you know? he's that kind of character. We're kind of wondering what he's thinking, and his worldview is quite funny and unique. And that first issue kind of showcases that. And then after that, he's kind of more often an antagonist in his own stories, which is interesting. Because we should mention for anybody who doesn't know, he's a sort of robotic um bounty hunter with interchangeable weapons on one arm although i'm not allowed to call him a bounty hunter because that's one of his his other little habits that he prefers freelance peacekeeping agent as you've said um and if we talk about the look of the character because i think simon Furman not only or maybe him finding the sort of speech pattern came afterwards but when he saw jeff senior's design he thought this was a winner as well didn't he the facial design of the kind of skull with the the tusks and the horns shouldn't work. It kind of seems like, you know, a lot of cliches put together, but it's just so uh, arresting. You know what I mean? It's really expressive as well. The the use of those two big metallic eyebrows, which Jeff Senior does really well to get across expressions. Um, and then Jeff Senior kind of gave him a sort of a Star Wars-y um, battered looking outfit like the green post-apocalyptic almost you know it looked like he'd been through a lot his cape was all shredded and he looked like he'd been like the kind of man with no name almost in, in space sort of thing he'd obviously been through a lot of battles and then brian hitch came on and gave him a kind of more superhero-y costume you know it's slicker and sleeker and looks a bit more like your standard superhero outfit. they're both really nice designs but it's that facial design i think is really it's just cool you know as a kid i thought it was cool i still think i look at him it's, it's so cool it's unmistakable and uh, Daniel Radcliffe, who's been on this podcast talking about Sonic the Comic, I was in the pub with him in Cambridge at the weekend, and he mentioned another podcast, Sonic the Comic the Podcast, that the host, Chris McFeely, does a Transformers YouTube, and he did a Death's Head explainer for me. Right. Um, and in that, they showed an action figure that was made of Death's Head, and he is perfect for an action figure. He just looks yeah. like, you know... It just yeah. works really well. And, of course, he's got the interchangeable weapon hand as well. Um, it is a wonderful design. And uh, with Simon Furman then just loving the character and loving writing the character and his sort of weird humour that runs through him, um, it's fantastic stuff. 
If we talk about the artists on Death's Head in this collection, we've got a variety of art styles. Um, when it's Jeff Senior or Brian Hitch, I think we're probably at peak Death's yeah. Head, would you say? Yeah, it works best. I think Jeff Senior is the kind of the, the best artist for him in a way. Because like, he's a creator, he gets him. Um, the way Jeff Senior does action and movement, I always, I loved it. I still love it. Like when we get the Grail pages, one of those, he just does it. So reminds me of Frank Quietly. Or Frank Quietly reminds me of him. That kind of mm-hmm. figures hanging in the air thing he does. It's fantastic. But Brian Hitch at the time was obviously still a teenager and learning, but and there's a massive Alan Davis influence, but in a really good way. Like it's slick. His storytelling is fantastic. It's cinematic. Even then before he kind of invented that cinematic style that he's kind of most best known for, it was still quite cinematic. And some of his, pin-up and splashes in this comic are amazing. Some of the other artists are pretty good, but maybe not doing the best work, like John Higgins, that never really feels comfortable, the way I kind of I remember reading it back, I thought, who's this artist? It's John Higgins, I couldn't believe it was John Higgins, because it just doesn't look like he's enjoying it in the way he would some of his other work. And I think Liam Sharp does an issue, and again, he would have been young and not quite. He kind of His style has developed a lot over the last few years, and there's one other artist in the miniseries, isn't there? Um, I can't remember who it is. Oh, Lee Sullivan. Yes. Which, Lee which Sullivan. is, this is, is pretty good. The storytelling's good, but again, it just not, doesn't reach the peaks of senior or Hitch or senior who are, yeah, they both seem to get the character and kind of like the world and capture something that the other artists don't quite get to. One of the things I'll say about the digital collection is it does seem to have stripped off the uh, creator credits from each issue. And I have to, I have to keep flicking back. Same with the TPB actually. Oh, is it? T- yeah. I don't know why it's really annoying. Yes. Yes, yeah, so you're trying to kind of process of elimination. Yeah, work out who this is. Because as you say, yeah. for some of these artists, they're either doing unusual stuff or they're actually very, very young. It's the start of their careers, isn't it? Mm. Um, although you can clearly see why some of them have gone on to be, particularly Brian Hitch, with his sort of like um, widescreen, as you say, cinematic work that he'll do yeah. later on. There are a couple of Brian Hitch moments that ju- they look like Alan Davis to me. They look like young Alan Davis, which cannot be a bad thing. It's like... But he kind of outgrew that influence as he uh, developed his art. But yeah, his art was, you know, was slick and it looked like the best of US comics even back then. Um, but Jeff Senior, the art on is the the trade the graphic novel the body in question on yes you know, his art on that when he paints it himself his own coloring that's amazing that looks fantastic I think probably the best thing he ever did. Well, tell us a little bit about the body in question story because that's obviously an important story for Death's Head that features after the miniseries in my collection. Uh, tell us yeah. about that one. Because the, the mini ended and then they kind of relaunched Death's Head and it was serialised in a magazine comic called Strip. Do you remember that comic? Yes. And then, yeah. It was, it was the kind of the, I think one of their big stories and it's kind of Death's Head's origin, where he came from. So, um, at the same time, it's got Death's Head doing Death's Head things, but he's fighting a bad guy who kind of looks like him, sort of, kind of an evil version of him, wants to absorb him, and it's something, something to do with his origin, his dad, basically, and where he came from. Um, but it's got, again, it's got a massive 2080 vibes for me. Even the look, the kind of the painting kind of looks like 2080 at the time. Um, and it's maybe not quite as funny as something that's a bit more serious than the miniseries because it's investigating his origins, I suppose. But yeah, Jeff Senior's art is just spectacular in it. Like it really suited. He obviously had more time, you know, to paint it and kind of go to town, and it really bears fruit. I think. 
I mean, it's a tough call between Jeff Senior and Brian Hitch, but who would yes. be your favourite on Death's Head? Probably, I'd say Brian. Brian Hitch is one of my favourite artists overall, but Jeff Senior is a, I think, his, his work on Death's Head is a bit better. It's more dramatic. He's he's more mature, I suppose. He was kind of further on his career and he created the character. So I think it's yeah, Jeff Jeff Senior, I, I would say. But it looks just looking at it now. It's lovely. It's just, this is so lovely. Yeah. <laughs> the, the colouring even. I've never, never seen him colour his own work before. It's always that flat Marvel look. But here it's shaded. It's got like nuances. It's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, it is much more um, impressive, as you say, sort of like dark and shadowy colours. Yeah. I've, done that. I've also got that open in front of me at the moment as well. Um, I'll tell you, I mean, I don't normally do the bits of a trade that I didn't like so much, but I actually didn't enjoy the crossovers with the other Marvel heroes as much. I much prefer Death's Head in the miniseries and in the body in question. The sort of Fantastic Four, Iron Man 2020, She-Hulk stuff, and the Hulk at the end. Um, uh, I think possibly because the artwork on those issues was not great um, compared with how good he is by Brian Hitch and Jeff Senior. I think, yeah. I was reading Fantastic Four like regularly when he showed up in it, and I could not believe that he, oh, right. you know, Walt Simonson had brought him in. I was like, wow, it's what, like, I can't believe that they've got him in an American comic. He's arrived. But then he doesn't quite, he's barely in it, and he he doesn't really know how to, to handle him. I, I like Walt Simonson's art. It's kind of an acquired taste. I think you get a love or hate. It's so big and dramatic and Kirby-esque in some ways. But yeah, that said, it's kind of a token thing almost in that issue. I think Brian Hitch does the art on the She-Hulk issue, doesn't he? But it's Brian Hitch when he arrived in America and was kind of trying to fit with the Marvel style a bit more and it's not quite as good as his stuff. He's got Mark, was it John Beatty inking him? He's maybe not right. as sympathetic an inker as they say Mark Farmer was or his own inking. Um, and I just feel like they did not know how to handle him or what to do with him, really, Marvel US. He was like this cool-looking character, but they didn't quite get how to fit him into the Marvel Universe um, and even in the last few issues of his miniseries it's a lot of guest stars you know Iron Man 2020 shows up in that Fantastic Four show up in that Doctor Who shows up it's a lot of I guess they're trying to boost sales by having other characters show up if it was a bit a few years later it would have been the Punisher and Wolverine no doubt right. would have been yeah. shown up and, yeah. Ghost Rider but um, yeah I, I know I know what you mean he just, it just it feels like he doesn't really fit in yeah. in the Marvel Universe at all which has been a kind of a the story of his uh, his life as a comics character, I would say, that, like they don't really know what to, what to do with him. So the Death's Head miniseries is great. The body in question is fantastic. Um, he bounces around and makes some guest appearances in other comics. And then, of course, in the 90s, I got even more confused now because <laughs> Death's Head, again, Marvel not quite knowing what to do with this weird Marvel UK character, um, just tell me a little bit about Death's Head 2, David. I know he's not a favourite. Um, so I think Paul Neary was the, became the editor of Marvel UK, and this is when Marvel UK became a really big concern, and they wanted to make it like Marvel US. So they launched lots of new series, and they wanted to kind of clear the decks. So I think Liam Sharp kind of suggested like revamping Death's Head, so they brought in Death Said 2, who I think, as we said before, you came on air, it was probably the most 90s Marvel character there there is. He, like his image style, it's all like grim and gritty, blades for hands, kind of pumped up, kind of steroidy design. And in his first story, basically, he kills Death Head and absorbs his personality. So the idea is that this kind of 
entity called Minion goes around killing characters and he absorbs their essence and they kind of be, they infect his personality. So Death's Head was supposed to make him more heroic. But I read that first Minion and bought it kind of thinking, I'll oh, still Death's Head, I'll see what it's like. And I quite like Liam Sharp's kind of Jim Lee-ish art at the time. But there was no evidence of Death's Head personality whatsoever, that the kind of dark humor was gone. The yes tick was gone. <laughs> so what is there of Death's Head apart from the name Death's Head? Um, so yeah, he was basically gone out of continuity completely for a decade or so, I suppose. And Death's Head 2 became Death's Head. And he had a you know long running series for Marvel. He showed up in lots of Marvel US things. There's you know action figures of him as well. He's kind of part of the Marvel Universe in a way the original Death's Head never really was. I guess because he's kind of more of an American-ish character. But yeah, he's not a particular favourite one. I think I always held it against the character that he killed that sense. <laughs> it's hard not to take it personally. Absolutely. Yeah, I also saw the action figure of Death's Head 2 and I thought, yes, what a 90s image-designed Marvel character that's becoming an action figure. And the uh, the original Death's Head one was just so much better. Yeah, it's kind of, there's an elegance, isn't there, to the original? It sounds ridiculous to say about the original Death's Head, but there's sort of an elegance to that design. Yeah, absolutely. Um Included in the trade, of course, is the what if story. What if Minion had not killed Death's Head? <laughs> yes. um, which is actually that's a bit more fun. Um, yeah, feels a bit more like Death's Head, doesn't it? Well, Simon Furman, isn't it? It comes back and writes that, so it's like he gets it's kind of karma for Death's Head. Um, and yeah, it rewrites history, which is what what if's for. And Jeff Senior draws it in a kind of a more modern, splashy sort of style, but it's it's quite a fun read. To, to think oh, what, 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 what might have been um, yeah, and it's in the back of the trade as a kind of a, a, a good ending I think because it's funny now neither Death's Head is kind of active in the Marvel Universe at the moment as far as I can tell you know and if they're likely to bring one in the back it'll probably be Death's Head 1 because he's got a bit more about him but hopefully fingers crossed we shall see I think I was I was reading that Kieran Gillen brought him back um, in 2009 briefly yeah, he used uh, him in the Sword miniseries. Yes, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, like, and it, Kieran Gillen because he's a clever writer. I'd imagine he's about my age. He grew up reading that said. He did, yeah. So the writers that have used him, I always think, oh, you must have read the comic when you were little. You've got that fondness. Like, if I was a Marvel writer, I'd be like, oh, well, can I use that said? Let, let, let me do Night Raven. Let me do that. That said, you know, I want to do those characters. But he shows up in the story, and Kieran Gillen cleverly uses him from Transformers era. So he's giant. That said, so. I guess if you don't know the history, you're like, why is this character huge? But he's a giant robot again, because it's supposed to be that said from before he got cast into the time stream or during that period. So, and he, the vocal ticks are there and he's amoral the way that said is and kind of plays people off against each other. And it's like, Oh, this is that said done well. And then they brought him back for a miniseries, it could be, which is when this trade came out, I think, at the time of the miniseries. Right. And which is like, you know, they're trying to bring him back by Alex DeCampi, I think. Right and it was okay. It kind of put him in an ensemble of other characters, but it was recognisably the same character, which was good. Yeah, and it kind of had a few shots at a digs at Death's Head 2 along the way, so I was all for that. We're all in favour of that, yes. Yeah. Um, plenty of stories in this collection. Um, what are your favourite stories? For the first issue of the mini, the kind of when he's in the original costume, and at the end he's in his new costume. I quite like. Uh, the Iron Man 2020 story, actually, which is Brian Hitch, I think his best work in it. I love the body in question. The the graphic novel is fantastic. And I do like that wife. 
Yes. And then at the end of it, we are, I should be able to mention, there's a couple of, there's a short story from uh, Marvel UK, Hardback Annual, or 33, one of the Marvel UK comics from the 2011, I think it is, which Simon Furman wrote, but it's obviously aimed at kind of younger kids to some extent. Um, and it's Deadset and the Hulk, but it's just good to see Deadset, you know, in his original costume, interacting with Marvel characters, and he, he stands toe to toe with the Hulk. You, know? yeah. you can't argue with that. So, yeah, but uh, the first issue and then the graphic novel, the two that I like the most, I would say. Uh, that might explain then, yes, because that Hulk story did seem to, yeah, it seems to be written for a younger audience, doesn't it? Yeah, I would, I would imagine so, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's kind of out, out of continuity and it's got kind of, kind of cartoony art, I suppose. Yeah. Pete Deathhead, obviously, Simon Furman writing it, I think, is the answer, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like okay, he gets well, the character. Let's turn back to the wonderful artist on display um, and play Grail Pages, which you've mentioned already. Uh, <clears throat> you're spoilt for choice for a number of great artists. Is it going to be down to the two that we've mentioned? Yeah, I think, I think it's the last page of the first issue of the mini is a Brian Hitch splash page. And the first time you see him in his new costume, it's page 51 of my trade. And he says, I'm open for business, yes. And he's kind of holding his cape. It's like he's on a catwalk almost. And it's like the first time that costume was seen, and it's like just awesome. Oh, yes. Here we go. I've got it now right in front of me. Perfect. Yes, I'm open for business. Yes. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, a character. Like, if you don't like that character based on that, you're like... Mm. Uh, it's great design, again, as we've it said is. so many times. And he looks... Look at the samurai kind of thing to that design yes. slightly, yeah. Yeah, and, it, you know, with those bands of steel, um, he does look a little bit like some of the samurai designs we'd see in something like the X-Men comics and so on. How much do you reckon a Brian Hitch page would, would set me back this I think uh, it's going to be slightly <laughs> expensive for a <laughs> I'd imagine so. But that's the one I would like, please. <laughs> so we're going to give you that page, the last splash page from issue one of the miniseries uh, by Yay. Brian Hitch. Any others grab your fancy as well while we'll be generous yeah. with our virtual pages? There's a Jeff Senior page from The Body in Question, um, and it's like three panels, and the top one is Death's Head jumping, or with his jet boots flying, and he's going to jump on something. The, the two panels underneath that are like kind of cinematic widescreen panels, and it's that a really good example of Jeff Senior, the way he did movement. Um, I'll show you that one, maybe you can see. Okay, yep, yeah, got it. It's page 250 of the trade. Um, that's beautiful. Jeff Cena doing that new costume, but he's just got such a great sense of action and movement and weight. Um, and I love that page. I used to try and draw like him when I was a kid, and now I, I can see why looking at him. That is wonderful because, um, you know, we always like it when we get a surprise of a uh, character suddenly appearing from above. Um, almost a very sort of superhero trope, isn't it? But yeah, yeah. wonderful. The tattered cape flying out behind him as well. Um, absolutely wonderful. Uh, he's saying yeah. right instead of yes there. He's oh, right. a slight twist. I'm not a bounty hunter, right? <laughs> as ever, don't call him bounty hunter. Yeah. Fantastic stuff. And then, yeah, snatching the uh, character from below. Um, uh, wonderful. And yeah, the individual panel of him descending, um, or I suppose possibly rising above him. But it's just a very beautifully composed sense of movement, as you've said. Um, that's a great page as well. Mm. So you've got one of each then. Oh, I've been greedy. <laughs> um, I was quite tempted by the cover that's the image to this trade, you know, by this comic 
and stay healthy, yes. Yeah, that is fantastic. I think, actually, if I bring you right the way back to the first issue again, yeah. Um, I think if I've got this right... Now, here we are. So you've chosen the last page of issue one, and I'm going to choose the first page of issue one. Death's head in the rafters, yeah, just looking down again. I did think about that one. It is amazing. Brian Hitch is very cinematic with all it's of his weapons on his back. similar to the Jeff Senior page you've, said, <laughs> you've chosen in a similar sort of pose. Yeah, from below. Weapons. But the way he's lit by Hitch there is beautiful. The, the, the kind of tusks, shadow in his face, etc. Yeah, it's a great page. Very cool. So as ever, I will post all these images to back up uh, what we've been talking about when this episode comes out next week. They'll be on all the socials. Uh, you get those two grail pages virtually. They become yours now. Nobody else can pick them. Yes. <laughs> Was there anything else you wanted to say about the, the sort of like the history of Death's Head or this particular collection? Um don't think so i think the thing that would make it i'm sure it'll happen again at some point they'll start with the rights and the doctor who stories will show up because they are the the thing that right. would the missing piece of death's head and i imagine people must be confused reading it or even dragon's claws like you would have to read have read the dragon's claws series to really understand what's going on when he shows up and transformers yeah. <laughs> it's, it's that complicated web of different appearances in various marvel uk properties which kind of makes him kind of confounding I suppose but I was there at the time so it doesn't confuse me but I'd imagine if you pick up this trade without knowing who the character was you'd be like what who are they what's going on um, but yeah I, it's his character that holds it together you know his personality doesn't change especially when Furman's writing him so you can kind of follow him as the, the thread through it um, but yeah it is kind of weird that it doesn't really make sense it's very disjointed until we get to his miniseries and even then the fact that there's an miss- issue missing as you said, doesn't yeah. help. Yeah, well, I noticed there was an issue missing. And then, of course, in the next issue, he's mentioning a time traveller. And I was thinking, oh, right, that must be the Doctor Who one. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as we say, um, the if we look into the complicated rights issues around Marvel UK stuff, it gets into a very tangled web, doesn't it? Um, as we've touched on before. It's a shame as well, because the Doctor Who issues, it's, I think it's a Sylvester McCoy Doctor Who. Yes. Um, and he's like, the opposite of Death's Head. He's like, he outwits Death's Head and he's kind of calm and they're both kind of sarcastic to each other, but he kind of outwits him twice and it's quite funny, Death's Head's response. Death's Head kind of is clever and cunning, but he's generally, he can use brawn to get situations and Doctor Who doesn't. And it's a, it's a, it works well, the contrast between the two characters. Um, and I would say the one thing Death's Head really misses like, is that he hasn't really got a good villain. Right. You know what I mean? Like, great characters are great villains and they're a great yeah. hero character and, he doesn't have one, so he gets lots of guest stars from other properties, but he's got, you know, Big Shot, who's the guy with the cannon of an arm, which isn't that interesting, and the, the chain gang, whatever, who are a bit generic, and that is what he's missing, really, a bad guy, or kind of a, a nemesis, and that would have made a difference, I think, maybe to his you know, to that series, definitely. And, the, and he kind of does have in the, the graphic novel the kind of the doppelganger character, but even him, you kind of you want a more distinctive bad guy, I would say. Yeah. Of course, you could put him up against Death's Head too, but we don't like that character. <laughs> like what if? What like the what if does? Which yeah, yeah it's satisfying, but yeah. So Death's Head freelance peacekeeping agent to trade. As I said, thirty pounds, sixteen pounds digitally includes a variety of covers, 
sketches, character designs, this essay, an essay by Simon Furman, which is great stuff. Simon Furman, very sort of like um, insightful about the, the writing process and how even when something he'd written a few weeks ago appeared in print, he'd looked at it very critically and said, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> um, he's very honest about it, isn't he? You know? um, so that's well, imagine the deadlines must have been horrific oh, for Marvel UK. Yeah, like, frenetic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Weekly. Like I say, if you've got access to the Marvel app, you can also read a lot of this stuff on the Marvel app as well, so which is uh, nice to know now. Other collections of Death's Head stuff from later on. I mean, we're sort of glossing over Death's Head too. We're not particularly interested in those, but has there is, yeah, the trade of the miniseries is available um, by Alex DeCampi, which is like it's a four issue miniseries, and he gets you know rescued at the start, like post Death's Head two, and brought back, and it's kind of a lot about his identity, and he's they mix him up with a couple of Marvel US characters like Wiccan and Hulkling and. Um, and he's been in some of the big Marvel crossovers. I mean, it's kind of waiting for a, one of the big writers to kind of go, I want to do that as a series that can, you know, Al Ewing, maybe somebody who appreciates British comics and maybe has some, uh, Kieran Gillen, that kind of writer to take him and do it again. Because um, Alex Campy had a decent go and she's obviously got appreciation for Marvel UK comics because she's done a lot of stuff with Excalibur and Captain Britain's kind of side of the Marvel Universe but it was just a mini and he seems to have just disappeared since then. But th- that is available as a trade, I think. And I think the sword series that he appeared in with Kieran Gillen is also available in a trade for if you're Al- death's head completist. Al Ewing sounds like a, a great shout actually, because he, yeah. he of course has got that dark 2000 AD inflected humor as well. Um, yeah. Come on, Al. Yeah, <laughs> please. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. Well, thank you, David, for introducing me to Death's Head and its complicated publication and character history. Uh, we'll gloss over Death's Head too, as I say. It's <laughs> um, so 90s. Um, but some fascinating art going on in here as well. And I really loved, as you say, seeing Brian Hitch um, develop and Jeff Senior's wonderful character design as well. So great stuff. Thank you very much. Thank you. Now, we turn to guest projects, and before you tell me about your writing, do you still, did you keep up with your drawing of characters like Jeff Head, or are you just a writer now? I'm just a writer. I, like, I'm sure a lot of people have, you've had on the pod, I, I sent some submissions off to 2008 when I was about 16, Rogue Trooper, and now I realise the time it was a Henry Flint ripoff, but at the oh, time right. I didn't know. But uh, I, I never heard back, no, nothing, so yeah, I, I gave it up. Um, but yeah, no. I still do doodle, but no, sequential art was not for me. Okay, well, tell us about writing because you've you've written a, um, a number of books. Um, should we start with your Tommy Conlon novels? Uh, yeah, so I've written three. Now I'm halfway through the fourth. They're detective novels, I suppose, about a World War One veteran who returns to Dublin in 1916, 1917. So in the middle of the revolutionary period, when just on the cusp of the War of Independence, when there was lots of, you know, uh, Irish nationalism, obviously there were like people in the streets were British agents in the city, the British occupying army. Um, it's quite, I always thought it was a really good noir kind of period, you know, very cinematic period. And it's never really been done that way. Like Dublin, people tends not to sell in movies because it's such a kind of naughty politically strange period and uncomfortable but I always thought, you know, a city like that, 
big city, lots of you know slums, gaslight, very atmospheric, a dock city, lots of violence, guns in the streets, made for a perfect setting for a crime story. But I'd never really read one, <laughs> so I wrote one. Um, <laughs> and the character is like an ex-boxer who had to leave kind of because of trouble with gangs and stuff, and he comes back after the war and gets into more trouble. Um, American company called uh, Rough Edges Press published the, the first one and the two sequels, so there's three of them now, and he gets involved with various, um, as the kind of Irish independence movement kind of gathers pace behind it and around him. Um, he's kind of off in the sides of the story, you know, getting into fights and falling for the wrong women, etc. That kind of thing. Fantastic stuff. So you say you're working on the third of those now, is that right? Fourth. Yeah, the fourth, fourth one. Oh, sorry, so yeah. the first one's called uh, Requiem Bell. All the titles come from Irish folk songs. So I don't know if I've ever said that anywhere before, but they all come from lyrics of Irish folk songs. So Requiem Bell's the first one. Um, the second one's called Fighting Stock. The third one is the, the Red Beam of Day, and I'm working on the fourth one, which has not got a title yet. Um, okay. Well, I can put the links to these books, uh, and certainly to your your Amazon page, your Amazon author page, um, in the show notes. So look in the show notes for this episode for links to the Tommy Conlon novels. But also, you've written about football as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. Big boots to fill. Yeah, because one of my other interests, I look, one of the things I was, I was thinking about Tanti about was Roy the Rovers, because I used to, I read, my little brother, when I was reading to his he had a subscription to Roy the Rovers. He was more football than me. But I always read that as well. And we were talking about Eagle early on, and um, Billy's Boots was reprinted in Eagle as well. Like the Eagle was like a, a compendium of all these great stories. So football was always kind of part of what I was into when I was a kid as well, and football comics. But I've got a specific love of Argentinian football. And I wrote a book about um, Maradona and Argentina's kind of struggle to replace him, like his legacy and all the players who were given the number 10 shirt and kind of Lionel Messi made it easy for me to write a, a climactic chapter, which kind of finished the story and they finally replaced him. So it was published by Pitch Publishing about in May or June. It's done pretty well. I think people seem to like it. Um, but yeah, if you like your Argentinian or South American football or just, you know, beautiful football and number 10s it's uh i think it's a good read hopefully so uh from maradona to messi the tale of argentinian football in between yeah and also available on all sort of book good bookstores and i will put a link to that in the show notes for this episode as well is that the first time you've uh you've actually published a book about football yeah i used to write about it online back in the early days of the internet um, back when it was kind of hard to see Argentine football online before streaming, I'd kind of stay up late and watch you know Argentine league games on Channel Five at one in the morning. <laughs> I wrote about it on various websites which no longer exist, and um, but it's the first time I've actually published anything. Yeah, um, it was the research was fun. You know, that's the key to writing a book: pick something you're interested in. And then the research is like it doesn't feel like research. I thought I just watched football matches on YouTube. It was like hey. Yeah, I can justify that because I'm writing a book about it. Did you enjoy, obviously, their victory in the World Cup? I did. It was amazing, to be yeah. fair. Yeah, was, my, my son, like I'm Irish, obviously, so I've, I've not got any, you know, it, we weren't in the World Cup. So yeah. I, my Argentina are always my second team, even for on there. And so they were my first team. And I've watched them kind of falter in World Cup after World Cup. And I've, I remember this in the book, you know, all the this the story of failure, which is kind of familiar to England fans, I suppose. You know, we're going to win this one. No, no, we're not. 
and then finally see them win a World Cup like that was, yeah, it was really satisfying and dramatic. That final was amazing. And it, it gave me the best final chapter. You know, it really did. It was like, right, now to end the book now. Yay. Perfect. Because um, they, I mean, just to dwell on it for a moment, they didn't have a terribly promising start to the group stage. Is it, was it the story of Messi almost physically lifting the team? Because we everybody knew it was his last his I last think shot, wasn't it? They won the Cup of America the year before, and that was a big deal because they hadn't won that since the nineties. So it was kind of they'd broken the hoodoo with that, and it was uh, it was not just Messi, but it was like the team kind of playing for Messi and like just allowing him to do his thing. So up till then it had been kind of too much pressure on, but now it was like all these young players who would do the running for him, just let him do what he wanted and what, and then he could destroy teams, which he did. We saw him do it over and over. Yeah. So yeah, watching that. You kind of know if the team's in trouble, he'll get them out of it, and he did. So, yeah, it was. And we're watching my son, who kind of fell in love with football during the World Cup, and it was just, it was kind of, you know, what football, the good thing about football, for all that it was in Qatar and all that stuff, it was so, when it was on the pitch and I was watching the games, it was, you know, a reminder of what football is about and what the World Cup should be about. Yeah. And thank you for finishing my book well. Giving you a great final chapter, as you said. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we must we must come back and talk about Roy of the Rovers at some point because nobody's picked that for uh, the book club, and I'd love to tick off some Roy of the Rovers as well. Yeah, because some of the reprints are really quality as well. There are some yeah, really yeah. nice collected editions. Yeah. Excellent stuff, David. So thanks for introducing me to Death's Head and this wonderful trade, and particularly the you know Simon Furman and, and some great artists in there. And I will put links to all your uh, books in the show notes for this episode and on the website. And uh, if you've got any socials, let me know and we'll um, tag you in on all of these when the episode comes out on Sunday. Thank you very much. Will do. Thank you very much, David. And thank you to everyone for listening to Mega City Book Club. As ever, find all these links at megacitybookclub.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Mastodon, Blue Sky, Threads. We're probably on a new social network called Freelance Peacekeeping Agency, um, <laughs> Messi and Argentina for the Cup. And like David, email me at mcbcpodcast at gmail.com if you want to come on the show and pick a book to talk about. So until next time, when we're passing judgment on another great um, peacekeeping agent, uh, it's goodbye from me and... It's goodbye from him. 